Judaism, Christianity, it was not a different religion, but it was rather a sect in Judaism, right? There was the faith, the Jews, the people of God who had handed down the books of the Old Testament from Abraham until the time of Jesus. So there was no, there was this idea like Christianity is different than Judaism that didn't really exist. Because even as, as late as 63, 64 AD, even the Roman government did not understand that Christianity was a new religion. It was not until after the temple was destroyed in AD 66 that they realized that, oh, this, this thing is different. Because there were different sects of Judaism. There was the Zealots who believed that you should use war and fighting against the Roman government to be free. There were the Hellenists who were Greek-speaking, Greek-believing Jews who also believed in the Torah and the Old Testament. And then this other sect that came around because of what Jesus did is that this is the sect of Judaism that believed the Messiah has come. Because the whole Old Testament talks about a Messiah coming. So it's not, it's not a different religion, but it's a this is a fulfillment of what the Jews have been looking for. And this is where Paul, the author, comes in, right? He was Jewish. He was Greek-speaking, born in Tarsus, which is a Roman uh, province. And he understood those sects, but he didn't like the Jesus sect. He hated these people. So he agreed to persecute and imprison them. He brought letters from the, uh, the synagogue in the temple to arrest any of these Jews, because the Jews still went to synagogues at the temple. He's going to go in there and find those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah and arrest them. That was his plan until Jesus met with Paul. Jesus knocked Paul off of his horse as he was going um, to Damascus to bring more Christians in for imprisonment. A blinding light. Jesus says, Paul, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? Persecuting his people is persecuting Jesus. So when you're feeling persecuted, you can know that it's persecuting Jesus. It's not persecuting you, they're persecuting Jesus. And he says this to Paul, makes him go blind, he gives him instructions about how to remove his blindness. And he, his calling changed. He became somebody who was an enemy of God to God's greatest missionary in human history. Right here, a time of testing and reflection in Arabia, a wilderness experience like Jesus had, where he probably had to wrestle with a lot of things. And then he came back and he did four missionary journeys. Do we have the map still? Um, thank you. Four missionary journeys. These journeys were between two to six years. Um, you can see the, the white is his first journey, the yellow is second, the blue is third, and then his final journey was uh, red. So during his second trip, so he, what he would usually do is he'd go to synagogues. Synagogues are Jewish houses of worship. He would go to the, the synagogues because he was a Jew who believed in Jesus. He would go and reason and talk with people and share the Messiah has come. Let me prove it to you from the text, from the Torah, right? From the prophets, from the law. And on his second trip, he was trying to go somewhere, but God gave him a vision 
Say you can't go, you go somewhere else. You go to Macedonia, right? Get a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, "Come to help us." And this is the region where Philippi is, which is in the north, right? It's in the north. That the whole area, kind of where southern Italy is today, and kind of the end of Turkey, that was Macedonia. And now Philip, and Philippi was, was one of the big cities there. It was a leading city. And he met someone, met Timothy, the other author of the book, on Timothy. He met him. He was a Greek-speaking Jew or Jewish sympathizer, at least. He showed him about Jesus, talked to him, he believed. Paul got Timothy circumcised. And then he went to Philippi to find a synagogue. And there was no synagogue there. This is a big city. The only thing you need to have a synagogue was 10 believing Jewish men. There's not enough. Right? So obviously it's, it's more of a pagan, more of a the gods of the day, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, or other religions. Right? So Judaism did not have a big presence. That, it has, Judaism has had an expanding presence in the Roman Greek world, but in this city there was not. So he met some women who were interested, who were Jews. And then he planted a church there from these couple people, from these few women who, who believed in Judaism, they believed in Jesus, planted a church there. And then on his last missionary journey, he was under house arrest in Rome, waiting to be executed by Nero. And during this time when he was in house arrest, he was physically chained to another guard. And this is when he wrote the letter with his friend Timothy to the Philippians. So it's kind of like we'll talk about last week the background. So what he says here, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So he's in change, and he, his title for himself is very humble. He's called himself a servant. Right? If you look at some of the other letters of Paul, he talks a lot about himself as an apostle. Apostle. Someone who has seen Jesus risen from the dead. As somebody who knew these people, was trying to convince them because in these other letters, he was fighting a lot of different people. You know, in uh, in, in the letters to Galatians, right? He was trying to fight against this legalistic tendency of these people and these what they what they call super apostles, better apostles, better speakers. So he had to defend himself, defend his reputation. He had to say, I saw Jesus risen from the dead. But he doesn't say any of this here because this church, well, imperfect, this church is like the most affection. They had no big issues with believing other apostles, other leaders, no issues, not as big issues with legalism and believing false things about who God is. But you know, Gnosticism and, and Christianity just for this life only. This church didn't have the problem. So he can talk to himself, talk to these people humbly. Right? He talked to them humbly. I am just a servant. Me and Timothy are just servants of Christ Jesus. That's a humble title, right? In, in the Greek, it means slave, right? When you think of the word slavery, you think obviously something horrible, forcing people to work against their will, right? This chattel slavery where you are like, forcing people to do things, right? 
They don't have any choice. They don't have any freedom. They don't make any money. It's a cruel thing that even slavery in America, right? Just this horrible time in human history where people were forced to go to these slave ships against their will and then sold to people like they were a piece of property. Now, in the in the Roman world, it was slightly different. Slaves could have honor. They could have some respect. They could actually even make money if you work for somebody um, wealthy. If you were a slave of somebody wealthy, you could be in charge of the whole household, and you'd get some level of respect and honor. You think of Jesus, he told the parable of the talents, right? He gives, you know, you know the story, if you, if you read the Bible, right? He gives one 10 talents, which is like a year's wage, one, two, one, five, and one, two, or one, one, right? These were also the same word, slaves. They were servants. And they, you know, the, the two good ones, they doubled the money. So in that story, you can see kind of a little bit more honor because they were happy and the master said, enter into the joy of your master, you can double your money. But still, a slavery is slavery. It's a loss of freedom, right? And I'm, if you don't know me, I'm a professor at best. And so what I do, I can do whatever I want to, but I trade 30 plus hours of the week my freedom to do whatever I want for money, right? We all do this, right? We trade, we can do what we like, but we trade, we willingly submit ourselves to be slaves of whatever company we're working for. We'll do what you what you want, your way, and in, exert, in return, you give us money, right? I mean, if I won a million dollars in like a lottery, then the first thing I do is like, I'm, I'm done, I'm done tomorrow. <laughs> Right, and we all do this. We all kind of submit ourselves to the rules of this world in order for money. And even with our, with our time off, we serve. We're slaves, right? We're not completely autonomous or independent. You know, whether that's making extra money on the side, whether that's pleasure, whether that's food or comfort or sex or work or status or achievement, we all serve something even outside of our work hours or why we work. We're also, we all serve something. We don't need to choose to be free or not. We need to choose our master. And you know the thing about this long enough, you'll know this. Right? We only choose our master. What do we what do we pursue? What drives us? What makes us tick? Those are the things we end up serving, we become slaves of. And Paul says very clearly, I'm a slave of Jesus. And with slavery comes some difficulties, right? He suffered. He was in prison writing this letter, chained to a, a guard, waiting for his death. Right, he was in prison before. He was beaten. He was abused. He gave up a lot to follow and be a slave of Jesus. He was he was studying under the greatest Pharisee of his time, Gamaliel. So he could have had all that status if he continued his training as a Pharisee, as one of the teachers of the law of Judaism. He could have been a lawyer. You can read from this his letters that he has an incredibly bright mind. So he made a ton of money. But he gave all that up 
to be a servant, a slave of Jesus. And I believe the reason he's saying this is because Jesus, being a slave of Jesus, is the best form of slavery we can have. Because we know that serving other things cannot truly satisfy us. If we serve work, it will ultimately frustrate us or abandon us when we get too old or incapacitated. You know, I've heard a story, you know, you're, you'll have your posting in the, for your job when you die before your obituary comes out, right? Work is just a cog in the machine, right? If we serve money, it will never truly protect us or save us. If we pursue food or sex or comfort or family, they don't love us. And only those things are temporary pleasure and they make us feel empty. And even if we serve good things, like family, like my father-in-law, he thinks family is the most important thing. I think family is important. Of course, I have a family. But those, even your family, even good things are subordinate to the best things, right? They, your, if your family is your whole life, your family will die, or you will die. You know, if you look at the world that we're in, the things that people serve, they betray them in the end. But Jesus does not do that. Jesus does not betray us. He does not abandon us. He protects us. He loves us. He guides us. And his, those things are eternal. It's not just in this life only, but as when we die, we will be with him forever. He will continue to love and serve and protect us as we worship him. He will give us joy, unending joy, joy that will truly satisfy the deepest parts of our hearts. Our hearts have a hole that only Jesus can fill. When we fill with other things, it won't work. You stuff something else like in those blocks, you know, my two-year-old, he has these little blocks. He really tries to get that brown thing in that square and he just beats on it. It does not work. And he may he was able to jam it in for a little bit, but it is not, it's not, it's not going to stay there, right? There's holes around the edge and there's cracks in our lives as well. When we try to stuff something in the place of Jesus. And he also gives us true freedom, true liberty. And I think true. We think of liberty and freedom as this idea of do what I want to do. But Jesus' freedom is even better. He gives us the power to do what we should do, to do what we ought to do. Because there's lots of things I know that I should do, and I don't do them. Even my own standards, right? It's like, I need to not do this. I am not going to eat anything after dinner. But then your desires come and you're feeling stressed and I'm tempted to eat and I do eat sometimes. But Jesus says, I'll give you the power to change, to do what you should do all the time. But I would love to do what I should do all the time. And only Jesus can give you that power. So my question is, who is your master? Right? Who do you serve? We don't say Jesus because we all in this room, right? But think about it, work on your worst days. Maybe your worst day this week, or your bad days this week. Who do you serve? Which master? And I know on my bad days, sometimes they turn to Jesus, sometimes they turn to other things. It's that comfort, 
or entertainment or food instead of Jesus. If you feel like, yes, yes, I agree. I don't want to turn to Jesus more in my worst days. And just pray to him. He loves to answer those prayers. You know, a prayer I thought it was like, Lord, I want to choose to serve you more than anything in this world. It won't satisfy you, but you will. Please help me to be your slave, your servant. And help me with these circumstances. And he will answer that prayer, I promise you. And he addresses these people to all the saints who are at Philippi. And we think of the saints, we can think of like these super heroic people, think of like Mother Teresa, right? People who are in the Catholic Church, they've sanctioned many people who have done incredible things for Jesus, right? But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about people who, saints means. Holy people who are set apart. But I'm not holy. I am broken. But because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, when God looks at us, if you believe in Jesus and He died for your sins, He sees the righteousness of Christ. So He looks at us as saints, as holy, as set apart. If you are a believer, you are holy, you are a saint, you are set apart for his kingdom and his will. And that is about finding our identity in Jesus, in Christ. Christ means the king, the Messiah, right? We are holy because of what Jesus did for us, not because we do the right things. I'm not holy because I stand up here and preach. I'm holy because Jesus makes me holy. Jesus makes me righteous. Even though I sin, God punished Jesus in our place so that we can stand before God as holy, as saints. So we don't need to find our identity, who we are in our work or success or our money or our failure. We can put it in Jesus because we are his children. If you believe in him, you are his son and daughter. And he makes you holy. He also mentions the overseers and deacons. Overseers. This is another, he uses this word interchange with elder, with pastor, with bishop in the New Testament. These are the preachers, the people who are designed to preach and to lead the congregation. Right? Elder traditionally means someone who's older, right? In the Jewish synagogue, and older people of the church would, would start this would start a synagogue. He gives a special mention to them. These people serve the kingdom. And he also mentions the deacons. Deacons are other leaders in the church. They do lots of practical things. Right? They make the church function on a day-to-day basis. You know, I think of people when it comes to Jungle, he does the finances. Serves faithfully in that capacity. Without money, it would, the church would not function. I think of James and Brittany running the sounds right now. I wouldn't be amplified. You wouldn't see the map. None of that stuff. Right? People who lead in a great capacity. And I'm talking this is about positions or title or authority. Because we all have different gifts. And all gifts are equal because um, he's just like, it's like the Bible, as Paul says in another letter. 
All the parts are quiet if their body functions. There's no better or worse parts. But at the same time, we can eat people in our church. Um, so sometimes trying things and stretching yourself and growing, that's a good thing. You might end up, what are my gifts? What are my spiritual gifts? Why do you need them? Why do you help them? So you don't know until you do it, right? And I had a person who told me, you know, like, you know, I realized I'm not a leader. I'm a great worker, but I'm not a leader. And I totally respected that because he tried being in leadership. Like, this is this is not where I feel called or left. But he did it to see. And what my 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 point is that we should try to stretch and grow. We're a small group, right? And many of you have served heroically and faithfully. I'm so thankful. But if we have more people to serve, people can take breaks, right? But he does give here special recognition to the leaders because they they have value, spiritual value. Likely, Paul installed these elders and maybe even the deacons. So when he planted the church, he probably put some people in charge. So he probably had a special relationship with them. And from the, the evidence in the first century, this is not a big group, probably 30 people. So not much bigger than us, right? Small church in Philippi from, from the evidence that we have around the first century when Paul wrote this letter. And he says, grace to you. So grace is an undeserved gift. Like something we, we get something we don't deserve. Right? What we deserve as people is separation from God in eternity because of our sin. We've committed treason against God by sinning, living a life of sin and rebellion. What we deserve is hell. But Paul asks, give them grace, and we get grace. Grace is an undeserved gift. I think of my kids. I love them and I bless them. I spend time with them, even when they don't deserve it, even when they annoy me, even when they do bad things. Because I want to show them grace. And Paul is saying, yes, give blessings to these people, give joy. Give, let, let them thrive. You see Paul's love here. He wants, this is not just his saying this, right? Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, right? May God bless this family, bless this group. Give them grace. Give them undeserved favors. He also says peace, right? The church needs to have peace. This is, a, this is an opening of the letter, but it's not just an opening. These, these, these words are chosen carefully as God writes the Bible. Not just Paul, but Paul, under the Holy Spirit, writes it. And we've seen, if you've been around at all in churches, there are tons of conflicts, there are splits, there are divisions, there are issues. But Paul says, and Paul knows that when you have these conflicts, when you have these issues, a distraction from the mission of the church, right? We're not the only church you've to other churches. And I meet with some of the pastors from the other churches. And we are on the same mission. And he says elsewhere, he says in Romans that if possible, 
speaking to the, the church in Rome, the possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So he asks for this from this group. And you'll see later on in this book that there are some conflicts. There are some people that are having conflicts. There's people outside the church that are causing conflicts when the church is built by. So he starts off with peace. And I think that we need to pray for peace and for grace. Right? And there's no shame to ask for things. There is no shame to ask for things because it's all a gift. If you want to have a, a good trip wherever you're going, you can ask for that grace. And then especially you shall ask for spiritual things. Right? Not that God gives us everything, but God wants us to ask. I think he does want to give us things. He does want to bless us. Right? There's no shame in asking for things. This all grace, all that we have, our money, our health, our lives, it's all a gift that we don't deserve. And also, we need peace. Right? We know that conflict tears people down. So it says that over, it says in Proverbs, that overlook an offense, right? So as, as, as much as you can, when people offend you or upset you or disturb you or say something silly or something hurtful, something painful, as best you can, try to overlook that. And if you just can't overlook it, try to be humble. Don't get in people's faces. Say, hey, look, I had this issue last week when you said this, this was hurtful to me. Can we, can we talk about this? Right? Approaches everything when you're talking to people. You come in, and I've been married for, for 17 years, and when you come in hard, then it's just the conflict excellence, right? When you come in humbly and peaceably, you can resolve it. So as we end, let's remember that true freedom can only be found in our slavery to King Jesus, as he gives us the power to do what we should do, the power to do what we ought to do. Let's also remember that as saints, we are set apart and holy because God makes us righteous and holy. Because we're in, we're in his identity, we can find true life. And consider serving in some way. Stretch yourself, grow. I, if you want to talk about where you can serve, I have plenty. Okay, I'm happy to talk to you. It doesn't have to be committed for a lifetime, like you're chained to this job forever. You try something and you're like, this is not for me. That's fine. But it takes work from all of us to make this church survive. And finally, let's pray for grace and peace in our relationships, in our church, and in this country on national days. Pray for that. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for my family. I pray that you would bless them, that you would give them peace in their households and their families and their jobs with their kids, with one another, with their friends. Give them this peace. I pray for peace in this land, that we would continue to be that light in Kuwait, that they would not want the Christians to leave because we bless them so much and empower us to bless these people, to love these people. 
You know, I just pray that you help me, help me to find my identity in my job or in my relationships or in the things I've done, my achievements. Those things do not satisfy, but help me to find my identity, help us start find our identity in you, because only you can truly satisfy. We ask for these things in your name, Jesus.